You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. Hello and welcome to the Surf Simply podcast. I'm Harry Knight and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello. Hopefully this will become a regular podcast, but apologies if this first episode is a little rough around the edges. This is a new experience for us. So yeah, what's uh, what's going on in the world? Uh, well, firstly, we've got an extremely exciting world title race coming up at Pipeline. So f- most of the surfing world's been following this pretty closely. We've had the potential first ever Brazilian world title, which is a big deal. Uh, a lot of people wanting to see Kelly Slater get his 12th world title at 42, making him the oldest person to ever win a world title. Um, I did want Kelly to win up until our friend Brad really decided he wanted Kelly to win and then just to be as argumentative (laughs) as possible, I'm now sort of rooting for uh, Gabby or Mick Fanning. And we were down in France last week watching a lot of the free surfing around the Hoscore event. Well, it was two weeks ago. And I mean, I think Medina was just surfing much better than everyone else. Whenever we w- went down there and we were, watched, yeah. we were watching a free surf, he was just catching more waves. He was just going for more Hail Marys. Um, although for him, they're not really Hail Marys because he's actually landing them. So, I mean, I, that's the way it looks, just sitting on the beach. Having said that, he's had like a bright orange wetsuit with a pink dot on his board. And that always makes someone pop out <laughs> from the crowd. But uh, I, I thought it would be interesting to run over the scenarios by... Like by which Gabby, Mick Fanning and Kelly might win. So yeah, do you want me to go over that? Yeah, well, it's gotten quite complicated, hasn't it? Because for those of you that weren't watching, unfortunately in round three, Gabrielle Medina got knocked out and then straight afterwards. I, Ke- I, Kelly got his opportunity to catch up with Gabrielle uh, on the next heat and fell as well. Um, and Mick went on to win the contest, which has really tightened up what was a very, very close scenario is now quite close. I was watching... Kelly when he lost in France and we were sitting on the beach and he actually paddled all the way out the back like nearly past the Quicksilver boy and sat <laughs> facing the ocean for about an hour because I guess he just didn't want to come back to the beach uh, and face the media he's obviously pretty upset and then when he lost in Portugal I wasn't there but I was just watching the web- webcast and he was all smiles and Rosie Hodges was like oh, how did that go well you're still in it it's going to go to pipe and he's like oh am I I didn't even know I don't know. I think that's a little oh, bit disingenuous. No, I no, bet no. he knew the numbers. Did you did you see him when he got out of the water? Have you seen that footage? No. He came straight up, didn't stop, didn't talk to anyone. And as he went into the competitor's area, smashed his board into the door frame. Oh, because like, he said, I've smashed it yeah. in three and I've given all like, three. Like, yeah. it was not, it, it was, a, he smashes it into the door frame, goes inside, like slams it on the ground. Uh, he, oh, he that's was, good. I he was see clearly pretty pissed about the whole thing. I like a bit of Kelly drama. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think he th- did think that that might have ruled it. Because he's, I, I know you're going to go through those in a minute, but I, I think he's really out of contention, isn't he? I mean, it, 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 theoretically, on paper, he can do it. But Okay, so for, for, do you, you want to hear the stats? Yeah, let's get, give us the numbers. All right, so for Kelly to win, um, then Medina has to get knocked out before round three. Yeah. And Mick Fanning has to get knocked out before the semis. And Kelly has to win. Yeah. So if Kelly wins, that's not enough. Um, Gabby's got to lose in, in, in round three and Mick's got to lose in the semis. Yeah. Now, the only interesting thing to that is that Gabriel Medina didn't do very well at Pipe last year. He fell in round two last that's year. That's true. So... But... He didn't do too badly at Chopu. 
and that was pretty massive. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm definitely not ruling him out. No, no, no. But it, it, I, I guess that that is the one light for the Kelly fans out there is is that Medina's record at pipe in contest is not fantastic, um, and it's a very hard place to get in the water and practice. You know, at least at Chopu, he can get in the water and practice and get some waves. But I, I think one of the the really tough things with pipe is even the best guys in the world can paddle out for four hours and get one wave. Yeah, and that's then the th- next ter- the next day they're competing man on man for a world title. That's true. There's then a really weird scenario, which is if if Medina finishes, I think if Medina finishes third and Mick finishes fifth and Kelly doesn't finish very well at all, is it? It's something like that. They then have to have a surf off. And they're going to have to put them back in the water, regardless of who wins the pipe contest. Uh-huh. Mick and Gabby are going to have to get back in the water, and whoever wins that heat is the world t- world champion. Yeah, which will be amazing. That would be amazing, especially if it's pumping. Oh, it'd be fantastic. But the the if, did you read the article? I think it was uh, Rob Machado uh, put out about a year ago, suggesting that the world title should always come to a, a showdown. Two years ago, I think. When the uh, Kelly or Joel for the final and for the world title. Do you remember? Yeah. And they never surfed against each other. No. They surfed against each other in the final, but Joel had already won the world title. And then Kelly won the, uh, won the Pipe Masters. I think Joel won the Pipe Masters that year, didn't he? Because didn't he win the world oh, title yes, no, and the yeah, Pipe Masters? You're right, he did. He did. Because that was the first contest he'd won all year, I think. It was. You're right. Um, that was good bit of surf knowledge. Good surf knowledge. But the, the, the point being that, that they never came up against each other in order to win it. And so what he was suggesting is that you go through and you surf, you even run the pipe contest. But then regardless of who, where everyone's at, when you finish the pipe contest, the top two seeds have a surf off, or even the top three go in the water and you have a you know a three round bout so you know you go out you have a 20 minute heat one point 20 minute heat one point 20 minute heat one point and regardless of who won the pipe masters it's who wins that three-way bout that finally decides the title because then at least there's a little bit of of give and take because the ocean comes and goes you get you get you know a pulsing heat and then you get a, a lull heat and it it makes it very hard you know when a, when a title does like like it's doing this year when it comes down to the the, the world title in that contest i imagine if you got a slack heat okay so what about this idea then you have all you go all the way through the year right and then you have a pipe masters that decides the world title mm-hmm. but you only have let's say like eight competitors in it or maybe even four or six right just a, a very few and they surf one-on-one heats in a sort of a round robin against each other Right, mm-hmm. so it, what you have to do at the end of Portugal is finish in the top eight, let's say. Yeah. Right, and then those, only those eight people go in. They surf in solid pipe. One day. One, one to one, they surf against each other. It goes all the way through, and then you have a winner. Yeah, yeah. So that those solid performances all the way through the year count for a lot more because if you if you don't finish in the top eight, you don't even get into pipe. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Like yeah, I do like it. I mean, I think it would be a shame to see the you know the Pipe Masters is one of the oldest contests going. I think it would be a shame to see that lose its yeah that's its true. status. But you know, I, I think you could then 
again, you finish after the Pipe Masters and then go into that round robin, which which would be quite fun. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know whether the uh, the North Shore locals would let them have another day. So well, that's another piece of interesting news. Yeah, did, did you, you see, see this? a certain very, very angry, <laughs> and one might argue slightly xenophobic old man? Slightly xenophobic, yeah. Flipping the finger to the camera quite a lot. What yeah. do you think about that? Um, I'm you got to be careful what you say, he might come for you. Yeah, this is it. Um, I'm, I'm quite a small person. I, uh, <laughs> I've never been in a fight in my life, so... Uh, no, well, that's I, not true. Like you, you can't see this, listeners. But Harry's actually a pretty massive dude. I don't think anyone would mess with him. I know well, Eddie Rothman probably would. Yeah, I think Eddie Rothman would. I personally bullshit. I, yeah. I don't think you can. You can't try and claim because here's the thing. I would say that his argument would stand up to something if the what is it they have at the moment? Eight wild cards, something like that. If those eight wild cards went in and really were movers and shakers within the Pipe Masters, then there might be some grounding on it. But almost invariably, they go out at round round two. Even regardless, he made some claim. I mean, I think it's fair enough that at any local event, there's a couple of local wild cards. Yeah. And I mean, that's fine at the Pipe Masters event. It's not like they don't have other events at Pipe. They, ha- they used to have the Backdoor Shootout. They have the Volcom Pro now. You know, So there's other events at, at Pipeline. Yeah, I mean, I just don't. I don't think that the whole uh, "I'm from here, so I deserve special privileges" carries that much weight, you know. Well, no, I mean, you know, you don't see any of the the French guys stopping the the contest in France and threatening to beat people up because they want more French people in the contest. Yeah, you know, that's true. It, um, uh, so you were talking a little bit about the yellow jerseys earlier. Um, do you want to go into that a little bit? Okay, well, now this is my, this is what I want to, this is the case I want to put forward. All right. Now, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me, and I possibly even disagree with myself. But uh, what I was thinking was I was watching this contest in Hoscon, I was watching with a couple of friends who hadn't seen a lot of surf contests before. And the commentators referring to Mick Fanning as the world champion, and uh, they were asking why Gabriel Medina was wearing the yellow jersey. So, this is the first of the two changes that I'm going to propose to the ASP. The first one is, I think that whoever wins the world title should wear the yellow jersey for the whole of the subsequent year, regardless of where they're ranked. So Mick Fanning won it last year. He gets to be world champion for 12 months. This is his year. He puts on a yellow jersey. He won it last year. That means this year he's the world champion and he gets to enjoy that for 12 months. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's kind of like you're the world champion and then you enjoy it for a month. And then it's kind of done and we're all back to zero again. And whoever wins that first contest puts the yellow jersey on. But and I, so I don't feel there's not enough of a nod being given to whoever's winning the world title. Possibly. But then doesn't the... Because obviously they're all now running with, um, you know, custom jerseys. So Mick's been paddling out with a number one on his back. At every contest, Mick Fanning's walking down to the beach. All the shots, all the video of him. Number one, Mick Fanning. Um... But the the title race is, is, you know, that's what was really important. You watch France or you watch uh, Portugal, and it's it's nice to know, okay, Mick is the current reigning champion, but the thing that really matters, who who's going to win this year? Where are we at with the title race? And so in the same way, you have, you know, the yellow jersey is obviously, a, a, I think, a, a nod to the Tour de France, which is, you know, the ASP is trying to line itself up with mainstream sports. And... One of the the, the the yellow jersey is a standard, and it, it's not who won the tour last year. It is who is currently going to to win 
the Tour de France as long as they're doing well, which then means that the spectators can see, right, well, it, he's going to win and he's doing well in this contest or in this leg. You can kind of get behind the guy that's about to win it, whereas, you know, it may even be that the, the guy who is number one is nowhere in contention. I mean, in, until this mess up on this, uh, Mick wasn't even in contention. So here's why I think that they should wear the yellow jersey. It's because the more drama, you, the, the more importance you can place on whoever wins the world title, the more drama you have when someone's trying to win it, right? So the more important it is in everyone's minds, then the more drama there is on winning it. So the bigger the prize money, the bigger the prestige, the bigger the trophy, the bigger the ceremony, you know, the bigger the fuss, then the bigger the drama. And we, want it, we all want to see drama. So I reckon anything you can pile onto... Uh, win it what you get when you win it is going to make the next year more fun and telling someone the whole of the next year you get to win that you get to wear that yellow jersey I reckon that's going to add to people's desire to win it so that they can wear that for the whole of the next year because it's not like they're getting much money compared to other sports so nice. let's at least give them a nice little yellow t-shirt <laughs> well maybe we could have a system the same as as the Tour de France where they introduced the um you know the spotted jersey for the the king of the mountains so maybe we could have you know the the, the standard colours of of it's red, blue, and what's the third one that they normally these black or white, don't they? Black or white. So maybe we could have a, a yellow jersey for whoever is the world champion or the the current ratings leader, and then the other one gets a, um, a an, an orange or a green jersey or something like that, so that you you then have that significance to to the 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 current world title as well as to the the existing, you know, who, who's standing there holding the, the title belt, if you like. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I do think it's a good idea that they brought the yellow jersey thing in. Originally, my, my love of science made me not like the fact that they used to have a yellow jersey or that they put the higher ranking surfer in the same colour jersey each time because I thought it might bias the judges. But now, to be honest, I care a bit less about the bias of the judges and more about the spectator drama value of the sport. Yeah, I think I think in a, uh, in a, a na- an international sport with a limited judging panel and only 40 competitors, you know, the, the judges know who these guys are. It doesn't matter what colour you put them in. If they're going to be biased towards Kelly, it doesn't matter whether he's paddled out in a red jersey or not. Regardless of who wins the world title or who wears the yellow jersey, are you ready for the segue? This is going to be a good one. We all know that the best surfer in the world is Giselle. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen anyone look so calm and collected standing in a barrel at cloud break out the front of their house in Manhattan? I had no idea that the surf in Manhattan was quite that good. There's a lot of people online who are up in arms about it and very upset that anyone should dare to do an advert using surfing, which is sacred to us all. But, I mean, who cares? It's fine, isn't it? It's just like a girl surfing in a bikini or, or, or rather a Chanel onesie. Do you think that they were trying to parody the surfing or not? I, it's hard to say. Was it, it meant to be genuine or ironic? I don't know because none of the rest of the, the if you watch the rest of the video, it's about a 10-minute thing to sell a bottle of perfume. Have but, you watched the whole thing? Uh, I got very bored at about the seven-minute mark and I never quite finished it. I'm assuming her and the guy eventually get it on. They, they do. It's got a happy ending. They get it's back got, together. I watched the whole thing. I'm, I'm very glad to hear it. I'm very <laughs> glad to hear it. You know, they, they Chanel do actually produce a line of boards and it's seven grand. 
I might get so, one of those. <laughs> but they're, they're, they must be amazing for that much. Isn't it called a Poe, an internet Poe, when you're not sure if something's a joke or not? I think it is. Yeah, Google that one. A Poe. I, yeah. I shall Google it. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of weird. Because I, I thought they could have done that whole video without doing the close-up of her face that's obviously with a blue screen where she's meant to be riding the wave. And then it would have been still ridiculous for surfers, but at least for non-surfers, it would have probably been quite plausible. But as soon as they just put in that one shot that was the close-up of her face as she sort of like did blue steel looking out of the barrel, then uh, yeah, it just kind of made a bit of a joke of the whole thing. There's a shot, I think, just after about the one minute mark and she's walking up the beach and the deck of the board is turned towards the camera. Yeah. Not a not a bead of wax. Very highly polished deck with the Chanel logo. Not a bead of wax on it. Oh, well, she didn't uh, look like she needed wax. She well, was no, pretty relaxed and comfortable. She did look pretty relaxed and comfortable. Mind you, she was only so. doing a few little S-turns. It wasn't like she was laying down any big calves. I, what I want to know is who was, uh, who was subbing. Well, I don't know. I thought maybe it was CGI. Because back when they did Blue Crush, Noah Johnson put on a wig and surfed it. But I think this was mostly just CGI. Well, but the, the aerial shots don't look like CGI. The, the, the aerial shots over the head look like it's a genuine surfer surfing. And the, the lead-in shots is somebody paddling out there duck-diving a surfboard. Now, you know, maybe she's capable of, of paddling out and doing the duck-diving. I didn't look closely. Maybe, maybe Kelly taught her. She did used to date yeah, Kelly. She did used to date Kelly. Yeah. yeah. I like the slight nod to the backstory that the guy's leaving because she seems to be spending too much time in the waves. I think that's a nice role reversal. Oh, we've all been um, there. We've all been a supermodel spending too much time surfing massive barreling waves out the front of our house in between photo shoots. Absolutely. It's something uh, we can all relate to. It's my standard day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I'll have to watch it again. I think it might be my favourite <laughs> surf movie. <laughs> okay, genuine surf heroes... Um, going back to just the other week when we were staying in Hoskor, uh, you and I, we weren't staying in the same house and you came back to the UK a bit before I... Yeah, I did. I uh, unfortunately had a ferry booked, which I managed to miss anyway. Oh, did you? Long story. Decidedly uninteresting. But um, yeah, I had a ferry, so I had to leave before the end of the uh, the, the surfing. And uh, yeah, you, you hung around and uh, got to watch the final. Yeah, and it was cool. And I was really stoked to see John John win it because I'm a big fan of his style and he just seemed like a really nice guy. Um he was actually staying in the house right next door to us. He was. And uh, after he won, me and my girlfriend, Maureen, we popped down to the shop and we bought a bottle of champagne and a little card. And, uh, and we took it over, a little congratulatory thing. And we were going to just leave it out at the front of the house. That's very nice. And, um, and I just walked up to like, leave it there. And there was a load of guys sitting there. And I was just like, hey. And, and they said, oh, come on over. And I went in. And I was like, oh, I just bought a bottle of champagne for congratulations for John John. And he just poked his head around the door. And he came out and he was like, oh, thanks, man. And, oh, awesome. uh, yeah, and he came out and he had a really nice chat. And I mean, you know, he must have had a lot going on that day, having just won the contest. And uh, he wasn't sort of dismissive in any way, just came out, chatted. He wanted to know all about where we we're from and all that kind of stuff. And, and I just thought he seemed like a really, really nice kid, really nice, genuine kid. Also a very tall kid. I'm only like five, six and he's about six, two or something. Uh, he's six, one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, anyway, it was cool. So I'm now a big John John fan, having met the guy and, and had a little chat with him. Excellent. Last thing I'd like to say, John John Florence duck diving in the swimming pool. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. That's insane. Uh, I'm going to go and learn to do that. That's the coolest thing. What he does, I mean, just keeping that board underwater. I noticed he that's... didn't have any fins on the board. Yeah, and he's really, if you watch his legs as well, 
he's really uh, swimming, almost a, a breaststroke yeah. uh, stroke with his legs and just using the tail of the board almost like a, a flipper. For anyone that hasn't seen what we're talking about, there's a video that just went online to John John and he basically jumps in a swimming pool that's probably like a 20 or 25 metre pool. And it's he has, a lap pool, certainly. Yeah. And, he has a, and, he, and he's got just, you know, his normal shortboard and he, he does a, one duck dive and then he sort of scoops while he's underwater at the bottom of the duck dive. So he's a good two or three feet underwater. He sort of like scoops the board and then with the board flat pulls himself down again and he has to do it. So he's always like pumping his body down using the board like a sort of spoon scooping it under the water. And he does this multiple times. So he does the whole length of the pool without breaking the surface. Yeah which is pretty cool. It, it's pretty amazing. I want to go out next time we're out surfing and see if I can do a duck dive and then stay underwater for two waves and duck dive up under the next one. Do you know what's funny? I tried it years ago. Um, I read an article somewhere and it was talking about how to duck dive because I found, you know, when I was learning, I was riding a fairly big board given how big I was. And it was talking about how to duck dive under a big wave, you know, how to duck dive deep because I found I was always getting churned up in the white water. And I can't remember, it was one of the pros, but they were talking about doing a double pump duck dive to get deeper and doing this, pushing the board under and then pulling themselves close to the board and pushing down again. And I remember trying it and trying it and trying it and then giving up. I think it's a challenge that should be on. Yeah, I might might have another go at that. How many kids all over the world do you think are trying it out this evening? I I bet there's just kids all over Australia in their pool just frothing over it. Yeah, we're going to have a generation with very good lung capacity. Yeah. On an interesting note, actually, did you see the uh, have you seen the breakdown of his surfboard that he was riding into the final? No, I haven't seen that. Again, bigger board. Yeah, it's all bigger about board. the bigger boards. They've, or even Kelly, I don't know if you noticed, but he, you and I spent a bit of time working out not just the size of all the pros boards and our own, but dividing the size by our own weight so that we actually got proportionally how big the boards were. Yeah, the number of pounds per litre of volume. Exactly. Um, pounds of weight to litres of and, volume. And we should probably do a future podcast where we talk a bit more about that we for people should. who are really prepared to just geek out massively. Yeah, Kelly used to be riding, bear with me here, everyone, 6.6 pounds per litre. That's a very, very small board. And he's now gone up in size to just riding uh, up in size to riding six pounds per litre, which is about the same as what me and you ride. It's about the same as what most everyday shortboarders ride. Yeah. So he's obviously decided to step things up a bit. Maybe because he's getting a little old and creaky. I don't know. Or possibly it was just a lot of the surfers were saying that conditions in France were tricky. They were having to do a lot of paddling. But uh, John John's board from uh, that final, and he rode it through a lot of it, and actually rode it the same board in Portugal, I think. Um, and that one was six point three. Oh, really? Yeah. You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. I'm in the market for a new wetsuit, or I was in the market for a new wetsuit, and I figured I would do a little bit of research. You know, I haven't bought a a suit in a couple of years, so I was looking around just to see who's making what, what the price lines are. And obviously, uh, you know, every single surf magazine in every country at some point each year, or a couple of times each year, does these wetsuit buyer's guides. Uh, a lot of the websites, you know, Surfline and Magic Sea, we do these wetsuit buyer's guides. And you go through and all it is, is it just regurgitates the advertising nonsense straight from the manufacturer. They just take the press release and run it straight out there. That happens with boards as well, have you noticed? Yeah, it does. The board buyer's guide. And it, it's just, here's an Almeric board with what Almeric's guys want you to think about it. What was the name of the guy who does those really good little short videos that are breakdowns of all the boards? Oh, yeah. Um, the uh, Shred, Shred, Shred Show. Shred Show. 
Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah, that's worth checking out. If you're interested in surfboards, definitely check out the check out the shred slow. It's not easy to say. <laughs> Chris Groves. Yeah, Chris Groves. But that's Chris worth Groves watching. Chris Groves and the shred show is, is yeah. You know, it's it's an interesting comparison when you pick up a say a mountain biking magazine or you know, almost, to be honest, almost any other sport, you know, mainstream sport, and you have a look through their buyers guides or their gear reviews. If something's bad, they slate it. They lay into it. Uh, and why do you think that's not the case in the surf industry? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can only assume that we, we must... I, I think the advertising revenue is very, very important. It's a very small, closed industry, so people tend to know each other. You, you know, the reps from, from the big companies probably know the guys that are running the magazines. They you know, very possibly even live in the same town and go for a beer together. So I think that that must limit it. But, but I think as well, you know, that the... the the readership of a, a surfing magazine, I would expect, is lower than a mountain biking magazine or something like that. So maybe we're we're more our media is more reliant on advertising revenue, um, and and that would be why we we don't have that relationship with the press. I, I I don't know. I remember once I was out in Australia a few years ago. Now I picked up and there was a, a surf gear guide thing. I think it was Surfing Life, Australia's Surfing Life. And they did a review of leashes. How did that go? Well, first things, props to them. They did decide to stress test them. Uh, and they did it in a very Australian manner by getting a bunch of grommets and hanging them off a lifeguard tower <laughs> with the leashes. <laughs> That's awesome. Which I thought was great. <laughs> However, it did fall apart given that two of the leashes were comp weight leashes and the rest of them were standard weight. Okay, so not exactly the most scientific. Test. Not the most scientific. And the write-up said... Yes, all the leashes were good. One of them did break, but never mind. <laughs> they didn't even say which leash it was that broke. Well, it's kind of like their heart was in the right place, but they just got a little bit too kind of Aussie barbecue about the whole thing. Well, yeah, possibly a little Aussie barbecue. Or again, you know, I, I wonder whether they broke one of the leashes and they wrote down, oh, well, this, you know, whichever it was, Creatures or, or Decane or whatever, whichever one it was that broke, whether the, the journalist wrote down that leash broke and then it hit the editor's page oh you think there was a bit of bit of that going on well i just wonder because you know all of those companies are going to be advertising in surfing life magazine yeah if they suddenly give one of the leashes a shitty review and the advertiser pulls out then that actually might make quite a big difference to to magazine i mean i wonder as well if it's if it's just the default it, it must be so easy to put those wetsuit buyers guides out i i wonder if they even pay if it's native advertising you know you call up excel and say oh hey we're doing our our wetsuit buyers guide do you want in on it send us over what you what you want us to put in i'm yeah. sure that's how it happens it sounds like that you've got a solution well it not so much a solution actually but the the, the one thing when i was looking around that came up um and i just wanted to give a massive shout out to this uh, surf europe magazine at the start uh start of this summer they got all the three two summer weight wetsuits from from a couple of the big companies and they gave them to some of their writers and they sent them out there and they then wrote up how they thought the wetsuits did. And if they thought there wasn't enough rubber on the lower body, they wrote that there wasn't enough rubber. If they thought that their entry-exit method was a bit fiddly, they wrote that down and, and you know, finished it off by giving each wetsuit a, you know, a number of stars out of five um, as to, to which one they thought, you know, if you're going to go and spend some money, here's what you should spend money on. And uh, just massive, massive support for surf europe there if you get a chance it's on their website have a little look at it because that that's what we need i think in, you know in in 
the surf industry, we, we need that. Because otherwise people can just churn out wetsuit after wetsuit, surfboard after surfboard, fin after fin. You don't need to get any better, you just need to write a load of crap about it. Uh, what else has been going on? So, uh, oh, I did an interview with Morgan Mason recently. Oh, the filmmaker. Yeah, and again, super, super nice guy. He, uh, I've always been a really big fan of his films. We have quite a few of his films going around on loop in the office, actually. Yeah, we do. Just because they're so beautiful. I have got a couple of those songs seriously stuck in my yeah, head. Yeah, I know, though. yeah. It gets, you can only hear <laughs> a, even a really good song about a thousand times, then you've got to turn the sound down. But he did a beautiful film with uh, about Frankie Herrera out in, I don't know if I'm saying her last name right, out in Chopu. Uh, he did uh, that beautiful one as well called uh, Dear Sylvia Loves Steph. Yeah. If you just type Dear Sylvia Loves Steph into Vimeo, really nice bit of footage of Steph Gilmore that he's put together. Um, Travis Adler, he did that beautiful one to Travis Adler at Rincon. Yep. Again, it just type Morgan Mason, um, M-A-A-S-S-E-N. Take that into into Vimeo and you'll see these beautiful films. Uh, we did a, we did an, I did an interview for him for the Surf Simply magazine, which back then was the Surf Simply blog. If you just go to surfsimply.com on the blog, it's on there. Um, really, really interesting guy, great filmmaker. I think him and the guy that's making John John's movies also on Vimeo, Begin and Begin Again and all of those movies. I think those yep. two guys are way ahead of everyone else just in terms of how beautiful the movies are. So, yeah, check him out. Check out the interview. Super interesting guy. Mm. Excellent. So the next thing we're going to do is have a quick look at some uh, contest results from the last few weeks, see where that's left the various world title races, and we'll have a little look at any contests coming up in the next few weeks as well. Um, starting with the men's WCT, uh, which we've obviously been talking about with France and Portugal just having gone. Um, but just to remind you that uh, Portugal finished with uh, Mick Fanning defeating Jordy Smith in the final, um, which has left Gabriel Medina, Mick Fanning and Kelly Slater all in contention for the world title. Uh, the next event is Pipeline, but that is not, unfortunate until December 8th, so uh, a little bit of a rest period there. Um, in the women's CT, uh, the women were also in Portugal. Um, didn't get quite such good conditions, but uh, it ended up with a final between Sally uh, Fitzgibbons and Steph Gilmore. Steph came out the winner, which put her in the lead on the world title, um, which is going to go to Hawaii on November 24th at uh, Honolulu Bay. Um, Steph is in the lead in the rankings, um, but Sally Fitzgibbons, uh, Tyler Wright and Carissa Moore are still all technically in contention for the win. Uh, on the men's QS, uh, there has been a prime event in Portugal and a six star in Brazil, um, as well as two one stars uh, and a two star event in the last couple of weeks. So a busy period on the uh, on the men's QS. Um, there's obviously always a few uh, guys from the WCT just making sure that they're uh, they're good for requalification, uh, and so Jansen Andre uh, from Brazil is currently leading the QS. But the two guys that are looking likely to qualify for next year's WCT are uh, Matt Banting from Australia and uh, Wiggly Dantes from uh, Brazil. In the next week or so, we've got two four-star events, one in Brazil and one in Hawaii. So those uh, those might be interesting to watch. 
On the women's QS, just had a five-star in Brazil, which Coco Ho won, which means she's looking pretty solid for requalification next year. Outside of the C tiers on the uh, that are that are competing on the QS, uh, Silvana Lima is leading, and Sage Erickson is in third. So, looking like they'll both uh, requalify for next year's WCT as well. Um, the next women's event is a four-star in Brazil, uh, run alongside the four-star men's event. On the Big Wave World Tour, obviously we've still got the waiting period going on for the Toda Santos event uh, and the uh, Punta Galia event, which is uh, in northern Spain. Um, the waiting period for those events is both open until February 28th, so um, nothing to get too excited as of now, but you know, keep, keep an eye on the forecast and, and you never know. Final event, we had a specialty event, a longboard event called the King of the Longboard in Spain, which is a, a real mix of old school style and um, new manoeuvres. It was a, a non-elimination winner-takes-all uh, contest, and it was won by Ben Skinner from the UK. Uh, that took place in Spain last week. I think that's probably just about wraps up our uh, contest uh, results. The next feature we're going to do on a regular basis is we're going to have a look at the worldwide surf forecast. Now obviously this isn't going to be much help uh, determining whether you should go down to your local beach or not. We're not going to talk in that level of accuracy. But what we are hoping to do is give everybody a, an idea of, of where there are waves in the world at the moment uh, and how that has a bearing then on any contests that might be running in the coming weeks. And also... Every now and then, every now and then we get lucky and we have a long weekend coming up. It looks like there are some waves. So hopefully we can give you a little heads up um, and you can start looking at those low cost airlines and seeing if you can uh, run away to uh, do a little strike mission and intercept these swells. So right now uh, in the northern hemisphere, it's not looking super busy. The, the North Atlantic, we've obviously got the leftovers of Hurricane Gonzalo. Uh, it's tracking over Scotland at the moment. Um, lots and lots of wave energy associated with that um, relatively low period. But by the middle of next week, there is actually a second low pressure following Gonzalo across the Atlantic. And there's going to be a big high over Europe. Uh, so that could actually generate some quite nice waves. There are several lows in the southern oceans, uh, particularly the South Atlantic and the South Pacific. It seem to be pushing some swell towards South America and particularly past Cape Horn. Uh, so we may get a good bit of swell for the uh, QS contest in Brazil. And it's looking like it's going to push some long period swell across towards South Africa. There is also a very, very big system in uh, the southern Indian Ocean looking to push uh, a, a very big potential big wave swell past Tasmania and southern New Zealand. So, so keep an eye out maybe for Shipston's Bluff uh, getting good. That swell then pushes past uh, New Zealand and out into the South Pacific. So again, looking good for the South Pacific Islands, Tahiti, Fiji uh, and those places. Uh, hopefully picking up a little bit of leftover swell from there. Hopefully we can uh, get a little bit more tuned into that and start to give you a little bit more detail. But that's the sort of thing that we're hoping to do. OK, uh, I think that's all we've got time for this week. So uh, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And hopefully we'll see you next time on the Surf Simply podcast. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply coaching resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com. I think you just said podcast, but that's fine. Podcast. <laughs>